Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Special Edition is a production of Intercom Communications. Thanks for tuning in to Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. We're getting into the holiday season, and that, of course, means getting together with family and friends. Could that also mean getting sick? Oh, no. We're going to meet Dawn Webster. She is a physician's assistant with MedExpress Urgent Care and assistant medical director. She has some tips to keep us all healthy this holiday season. Dawn, first of all, thank you for joining us and being involved in the medical community, especially in the wintertime, must be very busy. And I don't want to take any business away from you, but can you give our listeners some good tips on hopefully not coming down with illnesses during the winter? Especially, here's the big thing, we always grew up and mom said, get outside and get rid of the germs, true or false? True, absolutely true. So what do we do when we're talking about, because then we think, well, if I go outside, I'm going to be in the cold, and then that's going to get me sick. (laughs) Yes, so there are some bad things that can happen from being outside and exposed to the elements in the cold. But really, to prevent getting sick, one of the most important things you can do is wash your hands. So frequent hand washing is so important. Um, It helps you from getting or spreading colds, which are viruses. Um, like the flu. So when it comes to prevention, really just wash your hands. Um, If you have to cough or sneeze, definitely do so in a Kleenex or in your arm to prevent those germs from going everywhere. And then also if you're going to be handling food, make sure you wash your hands beforehand. Now, one of the other things that we hear a lot of times is, well, just stay away from sick people. But a lot of times you don't even know that someone might be sick. So how do you do that? Right. Well, again, you know, it's very hard. If you have any signs of illness coming on, you just don't feel good, you feel tired, you start to feel like you may be a little bit chilled, that would be a pretty good indication to maybe stay home, not go to work. I know people want to go to work and, you know, be a team player, but we don't want you going to work and spreading those germs around. So definitely stay home if you're not feeling, you know, just quite like yourself. And then the other thing we really recommend is we want people to get their flu shots if they haven't done so already. People have um, often think that getting the flu shot makes them sick, and it doesn't. It absolutely does not. It is not a live virus. It cannot make you sick. It does not give you the flu. All right. So I'm going to put you under the microscope here now, Dawn. And what's the difference then between someone saying, well, you're sneezing over there, and you turning around and saying... I have an allergy. <laughs> well, allergies do make you sneeze. And um, 
sneezing when you're sick does spread germs. Sneezing when you're not sick still spreads germs, but you don't have a virus, you know, essentially to spread. So when you do have allergies, you're sneezing, and you should take the same precautions, you know, sneeze and do a Kleenex, wash your hands after you sneeze, wash your hands after you blow your nose. But yes, people that sneeze from allergies aren't actually spreading viruses. They're just sounding like they're sick. And sometimes, again, sometimes you don't know because, again, you have some sniffling, you have somebody sneezing, you have a little bit of a cough. That could be a lot of other things. Now, a lot of people will also say, well, it's it's a sinus infection and that's not that's not transmittable to you. True or false? Well, technically true. Sinus infections are not contagious. However, the viruses and the colds that cause sinus infections, those are contagious. So people come in all the time and they say, I, you know, I have a new baby at home or I want to go visit my family for the holidays. Can I do it if I just have a sinus infection? Well, you really shouldn't because the virus that caused that sinus infection can be spread. Mm, well, see, we're learning a lot of the, the true and false from all this. And, and a lot of the things are coming from, again, when we were growing up and our moms would say, well, you have to bundle up if you're going outside. Is that necessarily the case? Because a lot of times, you know, you see people that are outside and we mentioned in the very beginning of our interview that going outside is good for you. So does the bundling up really matter? It does, yes. So you want to dress in warm layers if you're going to be outside in the cold weather. You, you want your base layers to be warm and dry all the time. So if it's snowing or raining um, or there's the potential to snow or rain, you have to make sure that outer layer is waterproof because as long as your inner layers are warm and dry, essentially you're going to help keep your body heat in. Okay, I'm going to give you another one now. What happens when you get a chill? When you're outside and you get a chill, as long as you're not shivering and you're not having any pain, most likely you're just cold and you can go inside and warm up. But if you do start to have any type of pain or numbness in your fingertips or your nose or your toes, then that could be a sign that you're starting to get frostbite and you really should get inside as soon as possible. Oh, well, let's hope that doesn't happen anytime soon. Well, before we we wrap up this segment of things, because we're going to have to have you back and talk a little bit bit more about frostbite, talk about some of the other things that can happen during the winter season, because a lot of us here in northeastern Pennsylvania know that winter can go on a long time. (laughs) Yes, yes, it can. So before we let you go, again, what would be some good tips, especially during this winter season, indoors, uh, things to do to not spread disease and not to even get a cold in the very beginning? All right. So take-home tips would be frequent hand washing. Absolutely wash your hands, especially if you sneeze or cough or blow your nose. Um, Second would be to get a flu shot if you haven't done so already. And third would be stay home and don't go visiting or go to work if you do feel like you're getting sick. Okay, good tips. Thank you, Dawn. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thanks again to 
Dawn Webster, physician's assistant and assistant medical director with MedExpress Urgent Care for starting off our program with some great tips on staying healthy. And she also reminds us to take your vitamins, especially vitamin C. As we continue on special edition, let's get an update on the Toys for Tots campaign. A reminder, it continues right through Christmas Eve. Welcome, Staff Sergeant Jean. Nice to have you here. And you are the Toys for Tots coordinator. That is such an important program. Tell us, how are things going so far this year? Well, first and foremost, thank you for having me. Um, Things are going all right this year. Uh, We could be doing better. Uh, Right now, we are missing a lot of uh, toys from 0 to 2 and 9 through 14, so... Boys, girls, both? Both. Oh, okay. So we were trying to make up for those and uh, doing events. We was just at the Moose Lodge uh, Saturday, um, the first. Uh, That was a good turnout. Um, Friday was at the River Grill. That was also a good turnout. So we out there trying to uh, make a difference, if you will. And where do you have a list of where you're going to be uh, and how long the collections continue until? Uh, not really. Uh, the people, uh, whoever decided to do uh, an event, we always show up. Uh, we was at um, Pittston High School. Mm-hmm. So if the event is going, they have boxes. We show up, collect the toys, and uh, sometimes they ask us to leave more boxes, which is a good thing. Very. Or uh, set up a date to come pick up uh, the boxes that's already there. So if someone is listening to you today and they would like to get involved, maybe they didn't even realize that it was, I don't know how you couldn't, but maybe they didn't realize it was happening. Uh, Is there a way that they can do that? Is there a certain date as well that they would have to do it by? Yes, ma'am. So uh, they go on our website, ymmpatoysfortats.org. There's all kind of stuff, how to donate, how to volunteer. Uh, so if anybody uh, would like to do any of those, these, it's all on the website. Um, as long as it's before Christmas Eve, that's all that matters because the programs stop mm-hmm. uh, Christmas Eve, uh, you know, making sure every kid have a brighter Christmas, if you will. We would, we would certainly hope so. What's your background, Master Sergeant? I, I get the impression you're not from around here. I am from New York City, actually. Aha! Uh-huh. Um since being in Marinko, I've moved around a few times, uh, Japan, North Carolina, South Carolina. Now I'm in Wyoming, Pennsylvania. It must be a little bit different when you're involved because, again, were you always involved with the Toys for Tots? This is my first year and is a wake-up call to me. Um, again, uh, I take this personal because I know what it feels like not to have where I came from but um, I know it's for a good cause so that thrive me and keep me going because mm-hmm. I know what we're doing here is uh, you know again for a positive cause. I guess a lot of times people uh, well of course we all associate Toys for Tots with the Marine Corps and the wonderful public service announcement that runs on television yes. and we just see you staunch guys and here you are, but there's such a soft spot when it comes to the kids. I have a daughter of my own. She's two and a half. And, uh, 
She's a handful. <laughs> and around. But you're a Marine. You can handle that. <laughs> I don't know. I think she got me beat. <laughs> And there you go. That's that's the Marine Achilles heel when it comes to the children. Yes, and ma'am. you did mention the fact that there are certain age groups again. Um, it, how do you know? Do you have you been collecting the toys? Have you seen what's already come in? So as we collect the toys, uh, we have to sort them out by age and gender. Uh, zero to two, three to five, six to eight, nine through eleven and twelve to fourteen. So we keep uh, a count of uh, how many toys we have and what we lack in them. Mm. And I just read a report this morning, actually, that pediatricians, the American Academy of Pediatrics, is suggesting that for the younger kids, and this would include your daughter as well, so when she says, (laughs) Dad, I want an iPhone, (laughs) you tell her no, because right now what they're looking for are things like blocks and just very simple toys and getting away from the mechanized everything that goes. Do you find that? Very much so. Uh, back when I was growing up, I didn't have no PlayStation, no <laughs> iPhone. I'll go outside and play or uh, building blocks and things of that nature. But I, again, as time evolves, uh, we're in a modern world these days, so kids are adapting to what's presented to them. But um, there's still a few parents out there that's believing the old ways, if you will. So I think I'm one of those parents. (laughs) (laughs) I think you're better off, especially in the long run. Yes, ma'am. So once again, give us the website. Give us any information that you would like our listeners to know so that we can make sure that no child goes without a toy for this coming holiday season? Uh, so the website site is uh, toysfortots.org, or you can find us uh, on Twitter, twitter.com slash toysfortots. Or you can find us on, on Facebook, facebook.com slash toysfortots. Um, again, anything, any help, regardless if it's volunteering or donation, you're welcome. I think that, am I not mistaken, that you brought a box here to our intercom building this morning? Yes, ma'am. I and do we're, have one. We're right on 315 in Pittston. How convenient. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Thank you, and a lovely holiday to you and that beautiful little girl. Thank you. Same to you as well, ma'am. Now, don't go away. There's more special edition to come. Welcome back to Special Edition. Thanks for joining us. Next, we're going to meet Kathleen Smith. She is the regent of the Shawnee Fort Chapter Daughters of the American Revolution. Yes, the DAR still around and thriving. She's going to tell us about what they do here in our area, in particular in the Wyoming Valley. Let's have you explain, because I think a lot of people hear the initials DAR. But when you say D-A-R, it means what? Daughters of the American Revolution. And what does that mean? 
It stands for, it's short for the National Society Daughters of the American Revolution. It's a national society that was organized in October of 1890 in Washington, D.C. And the first local chapter was actually organized in Pennsylvania in 1891. Mm-hmm. So we... we Pennsylvania got started in DAR six months after the fact. So what is the purpose of the DAR from the 1800s to 2018? It's essentially the same. It's, we we um, promote patriotism, historical preservation, education, but now it's a lot different because we no longer wear um, white gloves, hats as much. We, we were what you call today's DAR, like after here I'm running to work. <laughs> in 1890 they had things they were the wives of doctors and lawyers and such and they had servants and if you go to downtown Wilkes-Barre the campus all those grand houses mm-hmm. that was pretty much the local DAR that's where a lot of them lived so these were women the women who gave back to the community and and was very very um pro historic preservation even back then I guess the thing that I think about is when I hear D-A-R, American Revolution, people would think that it was connected with a war effort. They did support the war efforts through the years. They supported, they were very influential in supporting World War One. But these are women and myself, and my daughter just joined. She just turned 18. We trace our lineage back to the American Revolution. Oh. Our patriots either served in the military or supported the war effort by providing goods or services. Uh, some some women are descended from judges and other influential members of the community mm-hmm. at the time. And if you can prove like that, trace your lineage, you can join the DAR. Oh, so wait a minute now. This brings us to a whole different topic. What is Kathleen Smith's lineage that gets her into the DAR? I joined the DAR in 2002 through a man named Daniel St. Clair. He was in Fisher's Ferry, Sunbury area, and he was in the Battle of Paoli. He was 16 at the time, and he lost his most of his fingers on his left hand and his left eye. And he actually had served under the British and came over. And from what we can gather, he was captured and given a choice. You either switch sides or you're done. Oh. So he chose the right course of action. <laughs> and he switched sides. So was he a relative of yours? He was my ninth great-grandfather. Oh, so you were able to trace this. This this is almost like it's a, you're getting a twofer. You're finding out about your family heritage, and you're having, and it, it sounds to me like it is very prestigious. We don't discriminate against race, color, or creed, sexual orientation, anything like that. I mean, you have to be a woman. But you do have to have, I guess that's where I'm a little confused. You do have to have a lineage? You definitely have to prove your lineage back. Okay. And I've done it five or six times. Wow. We have, I have five or six relatives, but, but, um, some of my patriots were captains. Some were, uh, drum majors like Daniel, who was 16. And some just served and paid taxes. If you paid the supply tax, in Pennsylvania or, or taxes locally, you're eligible because you supported the war effort. Ah, okay. So there is there is a connection to the war effort. Now you said your daughter is 18. Do you have to be 18 to it's become a 18 member? 18 is the youngest, and it goes up until um, there's people that I know that are over 100 years old in it. 
then then the history they must bring. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You were mentioning downtown Wilkesbury and the a big part of the um, the DAR and your group is preservation. Correct. And it's throughout the Wyoming Valley, not just Wilkesbury. Right. So what are some of the places that you have been involved with when it comes to historic preservation? Well, what we like to do is we do cemetery cleanups. Shawnee Ford is big, and we mark a lot of Patriot graves. You may recognize uh, we've done Jesse Fell in Hollenbach. We've done, we just did Benjamin Carey in June. He's in Hanover Green. And that's, incidentally, the oldest cemetery in the area, one of the oldest in the country. It predates the United States. It was founded in June of 1776. Where is that? Hanover Green. Hanover Green. So Hanover Township? Hanover Township, it's right above the Sansui. Oh, okay. And is it a working cemetery today actually, as well? Absolutely. They actually still do burials. That's See, you're bringing a whole new aspect of when people drive past these different places. Mm-hmm. Um, and some of the other things you're also involved with is historic restoration of buildings? Correct. We are very heavily involved in the restoration of the Zebulon Butler House in Wilkes-Barre, we're working closely with the Wilkesboro Preservation Society with Tony Brooks, and we actually helped save it from demolition. Um, Tony got a call that it was going to be torn down, mm-hmm. so a few of us were around the clock, literally around the clock, standing guard. Not literally standing guard, but <laughs> like watching the bulldozers so they wouldn't get too close. <gasps> and we also helped raise money to purchase it for the Preservation Society to purchase it. And now we just did a fundraiser at Rodano's. And we just presented the other day a check for over $1,200 to the Preservation Society for the house. So if someone is in the immediate Wyoming Valley area, and there are so many things out there that people don't realize have historic value, I'm sure you've run across that. Mm-hmm. How would they go about getting in touch with you and, and coming along and saying, Kathleen, I heard you and I, I think I have something, but I'm not sure. What would you do? I would say contact us on our public Facebook page, Shawnee Fort Chapter NSDAR. And then I would also recommend going to the Wilkesboro Preservation Society page because a lot of what we do with the Preservation Society is on there as well, along with walking tours and other historic things that are, are going on in Wilkesboro. Around uh, holiday time, you have different walking tours that you do, especially for uh, Halloween. I don't do them. You don't do a them. A lot of times the Historical Society does it, and a lot of times Tony does it right. for the Preservation Society. But it's it's a, again, it's one of those things where if people want to find out about the history of Wilkes-Barre, uh, right off the top of your head, what are some of the other places that people pass every day and may not even, like that cemetery in Hanover, and may not realize what some of the, you said the Zebulon House? Now where is that? The Zebulon Butler House. It's on South River Street, and it's actually the office for the Preservation Society. But it was not, never on Butler Street. It was never any other type of house. It was the Zebulon Butler House, and, and Zebulon Butler was actually the, the leader of the Connecticut Army in 1778 during the Battle of Wyoming. And he actually built a log cabin, and then in 1793, he and his son, Lord Butler, enclosed it with a, the house that you pretty much see today. <gasps> And it was moved in 1868 by the family. Can and that's you, the only reason it really survived. Can you imagine moving a house in 1868? I can't. <laughs> that's incredible. 
Well, we're talking about so many of these different things, and um, you mentioned Tony Brooks because he does do and get involved in all different kinds of restorations and renovations. Where did you find out all the information about your family? My sister actually had wanted to join the DAR, and I'm probably getting in trouble for saying this. I said, why in the world do you want to join a group of old ladies? I said, what in the world would you, you know, I, I couldn't understand it. She was dead set on joining, so I said, all right. And then she was unfortunately killed in a car accident. Oh. And so... Before she got to before, join? Before she even really did a lot of the research. She was 19. And so I did the research just to see what it was about. And I figured if she wanted to do it, let's look into it. Get my mind off things, you know. And so I just, I contacted the local chapter and I joined. But then in in 2009, I I broke off from the local chapter and I started Shawnee Fort. You started this? Yeah, I started it with, we, we organized with 12 ladies. And what does Shawnee Fort symbolize? We're named after... Fort Shawnee, which was in Plymouth in 1776 or so, and then it burned down a couple times, and they have yet to find exactly where it was. But what they used to do is they used to take the public into the fort to protect them from Indian attacks and things. In Plymouth? In Plymouth. Indian attacks. Kathleen, you are just amazing when it comes to all these different things. We're going to have to have you back again. Oh, back anytime i'm happy to absolutely and again that is uh d-a-r and it you have your facebook page and give us that one more time shawnee fort chapter n-s-d-a-r you can also google us or give me a call you can find us on the, on the preservation society page as well wilkesburg preservation society get a hold of tony he'll get in touch with me it's not hard i'm all over the place And indeed she is. That's Kathleen Smith, Regent of Shawnee Fort Chapter, Daughters of American Revolution. If you'd like to find out more, you can find Shawnee Fort Chapter NSDAR on Facebook. Now don't go away. More special edition coming up. Welcome back to Special Edition. Now it's time to meet Tina Zukowski. She is the Director of Revenue Cycle at the Wright Center for Community Health, and she is the President of Northeast Pennsylvania AAHAM. It is the organization for healthcare executives, managers, and supervisors of patient financial services and revenue cycle. Why is that important? We'll find out from Tina. Tina, we're going to talk today about the organization that you are involved with, and you mentioned you're from the Wright Center, so what do you do there first? I am the Director of Revenue Cycle at the Wright Center for Community Health. Sounds like money. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody's involved in the money aspect. Okay. Well, then, what is the organization that you're here to tell us about today? The organization is AHAM. It's a local chapter here in Scranton and Wilkes-Barre. And the organization primarily focuses on revenue cycle in the hospital and physician practice setting. And what does it stand for? The American Association of Healthcare Administrative Management. So where would we find you and or people who would belong to this organization in our daily life? 
We have a website. It's www.nepaaham.org. And you can find information about our chapter. You can find links to the national chapter and all information about what services we provide, membership, certification, our educational sessions as well. So would the people that are involved in, is it AHIM? Yes. AHIM, okay. Um, people who are involved in AHIM, would they work in doctor's offices, hospitals, um Give us a little bit of a background there, because I think for a lot of people, this may be something new. Sure. So it would be anybody who works in a hospital setting or in physician practice who would be working in a front desk, uh, registration, admissions, billing, collections, accounts receivable, um, anybody who does contract negotiations, anything, anyone who does anything regarding reimbursement, so when they're um a bo- when they belong to the chapter then I just want to give people a little bit more of a uh, understanding of exactly what your organization does. So anybody who would become a member of that would be entitled or would be able to what go for more training, be able to get more information. Yes, and we provide in our educational sessions we have different speakers who come and talk about the current topics that are affecting everybody, not only in the hospital setting, but also in the physician practice setting. And those topics can range from reimbursement to coding to new codes to changes uh, given from CMS about what's coming and how we have to prepare for these changes. It helps us to get ready for uh, any type of impact that may have. So it's more of a national. Yes, it is. And where where was all this base then? So AHAM was actually it's in the or the national chapter is in Fairfax, Virginia, and it actually uh, began in 1968. We're actually celebrating 50 years this year, and it all started there. And um, they national kind of sets the the standards, and they they have webinars, and they have um, various certifications that you can get to help you, to help those folks in the revenue cycle world uh, be able to do their jobs efficiently and keep them in tune to what's happening nationally in healthcare. Tina, tell us who would be involved, Um, and I think probably one of the people that we might see as we walk into a doctor's office or a hospital, there's somebody who's sitting at the front desk. It's the first face, hopefully a smiling one, that you deal with all the time. Would that be a person that you would be able to say belongs to this organization? Absolutely. And actually, that front desk person is actually the first person that starts the revenue cycle process. So they need the knowledge and the expertise because if it, if there's a problem at the front desk, it follows through the entire revenue cycle, which can lead to delay in payment denials. So yes, someone at the front desk would definitely benefit from this because at our educational sessions, when we have payers come in, such as Geisinger, Highmark, PA Medicaid, they talk about the insurances and changes in plans, and that's extremely important for front desk staff to be aware of in order to register the patients properly and to also make sure that claims are sent correctly so that there's not a problem or a denial on the back end and causing rework. When someone then does come in to the office and the first thing they say is, do you have your insurance card? Has anything changed with your insurance card? 
I always think, oh, they're just asking me that because they're being polite, but that's not necessarily the case then. No, it's not. And patients sometimes don't realize that we have to ask the question because sometimes the cards change. Sometimes the insurance numbers change. Patients may not be aware if, and they may get a card and throw it out and not know that it, they need it or they need to do something with it. So it's important that for every visit that the patients bring their cards and that that the front desk staff validates their eligibility. That's what's key. Because again, if that's not right, that starts the whole process off incorrectly. And when we're talking about cards and we're talking about numbers, from what I understand, that has become very important in the world of Medicare because Medicare cards have been changing. Is that correct? That's correct. And the number is completely different um, in order to protect the patient. In the past, it was their social security number or their spouses and with a different letter at the end, depending on uh, the the status of their Medicare. So yes, that's a complete change and we need those new cards in order to process the, uh, in order to register the patient and process their claim. So yes, that was a major overhaul that Medicare has done this past year. When we're also talking about, again, I, I like the idea of starting at the front desk because everybody sees the front desk, everybody knows who's there, but let's go back a, a little bit more now. So now we go into a doctor's office and we might run into the nurse or the PA. Are they also someone who's involved in your organization? No, actually they're, they wouldn't be. It's would only pertain to the front desk staff, a practice manager, a billing manager. Uh, it could be a director. It could be um, supervisor in the revenue cycle area. Even though um, they would be the people in the back that would be then going ahead and uh, being able to um, schedule any kind of another appointment, a procedure. So everybody has to kind of work together. I can see where everybody's getting all mixed up here now. Yes, it is. And right now, that's the way most offices are structured, where it's front desk, or they may even have... Uh, a, a little department where they check for prior auths. They you may even have their own call center that checks and validates insurances. So the front desk is kind of is kept separate from any of the clinical aspects of the of the practice. The front desk is really responsible for the insurance verification and eligibility. So what happens when you go to an ER? So the same process would happen in the emergency room when you're being registered. The person at the at the admissions desk there would be taking your insurance information and they should be validating it through websites that are available to do so. And again, it's it's all important to have the insurance card. Absolutely. I guess if the general public out there is listening and they're thinking, well, you know, I have a lot of questions about these things. Again, does your organization prepare the people at the front desk and the first line of defense in order to uh, get their questions answered? Yes, they do. We do. And it's having these educational sessions and also the networking and being and having the resources with to the payers. Again, Geisinger, Highmark, Medicare, PA Medicaid, having the, the resources to go and ask questions and have representatives that we can reach out to if we have a question or if there's something that we don't know, we're able to reach out to them and get the information. If it's something out of the ordinary 
or whichever. So the networking is really important and valuable for anyone in the revenue cycle world. When uh, we were talking a little bit ago, you had mentioned the fact that you were based in, or the organization, the, the national organization is based in Virginia. So they must deal with so many different states because one thing can be happening here in Pennsylvania. You go to New York, there's something different. You go here, there's something different. So how do they put all that together and able to get the questions answered here? Do they come locally? Um, Yes, there are several national uh, board members that would come and speak at our local chapters. But um, one thing I do want to mention is that AHEM has 32 chapters across the United States. And you're right, each state is completely different. Each state has their own rules. So what happens is they look to the local chapters for feedback as to what's going on and how they can help us nationally, can help us deal with the issues we're encountering locally. Um, One thing that uh, is really important that we do is we lobby. And in the spring, we actually, AHEM actually has Legislative Day, which is a really exciting day where we as an organization, all the local chapters and members, are invited to go to Washington. Oh. And there's various topics that we lobby on. Um, Most recently was the... The TCPA Act, which is the Telephone Consumer Protection Act, and also uh, we lobbied this past year on the 340B drug pricing. So it's very exciting that we're able to go to Washington and meet with our our state representatives and have sit-down meetings with them and discussions about these important issues that are affecting us locally. So even though it's a a national drug pricing, for Mm -hmm. instance, Mm -hmm. you're able to get input from so many other places. It always fascinates me that, again, we go back to the idea of coming into a doctor's office and there is the same receptionist that we've seen. uh, And maybe that's not even the correct title. Maybe it's administrative office manager now or whatever. But you come in and it's the same friendly face and we don't realize as consumers, the information that this person is still learning and is still gleaning from organizations like yours, because we all think, again, we're in that local bubble. So what happens when someone belongs like this person that we see all the time at the doctor's office, when they go to one of your meetings, whether it's a local meeting, whether it's a chapter meeting, um, do they learn? Do they have different kind of educational programs? Yes. So when they at one of our educational sessions, what will happen is we have speakers that, again, that come from Geisinger Health Plan, from Aetna Better Health, from PA Medicaid, from Medicare. And the presenters will actually provide us with those updates that are necessary to do our jobs every day. So it's very important, and it's very important, I believe, to have people be active who are in revenue cycle to join the chapter because with healthcare changing daily, it actually changes by the minute anymore. Mm-hmm. It's so important to stay on top of these changes because CMS is also changing things rapidly. What's CMS? You've mentioned that a couple times now. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid. Oh. And they're the driving force of the rules for Medicare. Oh, okay. So they're, yeah, they're the ones that everybody seems to uh, <laughs> have something to say about at some point in time. Now, you mentioned getting involved in your local chapter. Do you have an area that you cover? Is it just Scranton, Wilkes-Barre? 
it's Scranton, Wilkes-Barre, and any of the surrounding areas. We actually have members that travel from as far as Harrisburg to act- from to Philadelphia, New Jersey. It just depends on the topics we have and what drives them to come into our local chapter. So what would someone uh, have happen when they get to this particular event? Do they go in? Is there a dinner? Is there mingling? Is there... Definitely a lot of networking. So that's very <laughs> important. Um, yes, they'll come in, they'll um, register, and the presenters will, will introduce them and uh, start the, uh, the learning process and the networking And how would someone find out about this if they would like to now get involved or tell someone they know, hey, maybe you should get involved? Our website would be uh, very helpful. And also we have a Facebook page where I've been listing all of our events and upcoming events. We have three coming up for next year. And also I just posted most recently regarding Legislative Day for 2019. Uh, in Washington, D.C. And we also have an ANI. It's the Annual National Institute, which is a great opportunity that anyone in Revenue Cycle who belongs to AHAM should go because it's a venue where all of the vendors in the Revenue Cycle business come. And it's an opportunity to look at what is going on. What are the new softwares? What are What's new going around the entire country in Revenue Cycle from collections to billing? It's amazing. And this year it's in Las Vegas. So <laughs> big draw there. Yes. <laughs> Major draw there. What are the uh, what's the website and the Facebook information as far as finding you? So the website would be www.nepaaham.org and it's Nipa Aham on Facebook. Okay. When we're talking about um, all these different things again and and we've been using the um, example of being in the uh, office, mm-hmm. the office setting. As far as uh, that's concerned, we talk about the um, different benefits of the membership and we're in the office setting. So Someone wants to get involved. You mentioned the um, this part of it as far as networking, which is very important. What other things? Uh, I know we talked a little bit briefly about, uh, you know, learning all these different things, but how does that happen? So there are many benefits to the AHAM membership, including educational opportunities that will strengthen and improve your knowledge and skills in the role that you have. Certification. There are several certifications that AHAM offers, and they're nationally recognized certification programs that will give you the competitive edge in your career. Also, there's publications that they post on the website that are great reference for things that are happening. Attending the uh, Legislative Day in Washington is also very important as part of being a member of AHAM. Very exciting, and I think it's a great opportunity that any everybody should at least go once to experience being in Washington, being in your local representative's office, and being able to talk about the issues that are affecting you locally. Very exciting, and I think everybody should try it. It's it's a great opportunity. That's a whole show in itself. It is. It <laughs> is, and I I I, I personally um, have done it several times, and I love I love it. it. You just get very excited to be there and being able to know that you're adding value. And again, the local chapter involvement, opportunities with your peer networking, there's cutting-edge training, educational programs, and obviously it's leadership development as well. They offer other discount programs too, being part of of AHAM. So there's many things, many membership uh, opportunities that can really help you grow professionally and, of course, Mm knowledge-wise, and to stay current to what's happening in healthcare. You have uh, a lot of passion 
for what you're talking about. I do. And I, uh, I can tell that in just the discussion that we've had today. If someone was thinking, and I, I always think about young people when they're making those career choices and the decisions to make, and I probably many years ago, well, you said this is what, 50 years? 50 years. 50 years. So the organization has been there. Would you say that the benefit from joining something like this, especially for someone who might just be starting out, is immeasurable? Absolutely. And I personally don't know how I would do my job every day without being part of this organization and having the networking opportunity and knowing who I can call and just say, hey, I'm having this problem. Are you having this problem? How can we fix this? What's going on? It's so important. You, We really need this, especially the way healthcare is changing every day. That was going to be my next question. Healthcare is changing every day. And organizations like this are able to help people in the offices and, and people that we wouldn't, we always think of the doctors and the nurses, but the people that are involved in all of the revenue aspect are the ones who uh, can also get a lot of the heat. That's correct. So when when we talk when we talk about something like that, again, going back to just people that we meet every day in an office, you mentioned the benefits. Can you just run down once again why? Because I, I can't imagine from hearing what you've been saying that there would be people who have never heard of the organization, mm-hmm. who have no idea about getting involved. So I'm going to give you the microphone, Tina, and you're going to be the very, I think, very wonderful spokesperson to get everybody and say, come on, give us a call, check out our information. Well, I think one thing to keep in mind is that with Revenue Cycle, Revenue Cycle is the nucleus of any organization, whether it's the hospital or a physician practice. So if anything goes wrong in that Revenue Cycle process, it impacts that organization, whether it's hospital or physician practice, financially. So it's so important for anyone who is in in the front line, in billing, in collections, in AR, maybe whoever does contracting, to be part of this organization to be able to stay in tune to what's changing, to be able to do your job most efficiently and effectively. And again, the certifications, the inform- the wealth of information that AHAM has and the connections, not only locally but nationally, being able to lobby, being able to go to the ANI and see what's out there that we may not see here locally. Again, softwares. There's millions of different softwares that can help you do your job much better than what we see locally that are out there that we won't see. Mm. or are familiar with here. So the benefits just outweigh everything because it AHAM will help you as an individual grow in your career and provide you the knowledge and expertise you need to do, not only for yourself, but for the organization that you work for. And again, how do they find you? They can find us on our website. It's www.nepaaham.org or check out our Facebook page, NEPA AHAM. And on our website, there's contact information, so you can feel free to reach out, whether it's to myself or to anyone on my board, and um, we're happy to answer any questions. 
Thanks again to Tina Zakowski, Director of Revenue Cycle at the Wright Center for Community Health and President of Northeast Pennsylvania, AHAM, for joining us. You can find out more by visiting them at nepaaham.org. What better way to celebrate this season of giving than to give your time and talents? I'm State Senator John Yadichak with a Pennsylvania Moment. Help out at a soup kitchen or lend a hand at a food pantry. Bring the kids and grandkids to make it a family event. And why not make volunteering a year-round practice? I'm State Senator John Yadichak with a Pennsylvania Moment. Thanks for listening to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. A production of Intercom Communications. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 